What does freedom mean to you? If I asked our entire audience this question, I'd probably get different responses. But I could safely say that a good solid chunk of you would reply with, I want time freedom, I want location freedom, I want financial freedom, I want the freedom to do the work I want to do with the people that I want to do it, I want the freedom to be able to spend my time my way and live life under my own terms. And these are all pretty solid answers. However, if you asked me the question, what does freedom mean to you? I'd probably give a slightly uncommon answer. Freedom to me is freedom to tell the truth. If someone said, Ollie, you'll have the location freedom, I'll give you a billion dollars and you have success and fame and the rest of it, click my fingers and you'll have it there, but under one condition you have to basically be somebody else. You have to perform every single day. That price would be too much to pay for me. Being able to tell the truth, being able to be fully authentic, having your values, your emotions, your thoughts and your actions in alignment is to me, true freedom. It's true freedom that in my opinion, trumps every other kind of freedom you can name. And in this episode of the Acario podcast, I'm interviewing Yora Glow who is a trainer in radical honesty. Radical honesty is a method of communication that was first kicked off by the psychotherapist Brad Blanton with the release of his book, Radical Honesty. And in this conversation, we discuss what radical honesty is, why you would practice it, how you would practice it, as well as a few of the common misconceptions, a few of the common questions that people have. We also have taken a few real world examples of sort of lived white lies, dishonesty from our audience. And we have given these to Yora to, uh, to talk about in this episode. And at the end, Yora also takes me personally through a radical honesty exercise that I found quite um, interesting. Let's just, uh, let's just say that. So if you want to improve your relationship, not just to other people, but to yourself, if you want to let go of a lifetime's worth of mental baggage, if you want to improve your mental and emotional well-being this episode may be exactly what you're looking for. The show notes for this episode are at ikario.com forward slash 046. I hope you enjoy the episode. Yora, you're a glow. Thank you for joining me. You're welcome. I'm, I appreciate you for asking me to come. It's all good. Appreciate you uh, joining me. There are a lot of plants in the background. Are they all yours? Absolutely. These are all my babies. <laughs> really? <laughs> and then you just casually <laughs> just had another one just off screen. And there's another. And uh, my guess is that there's plenty more in the room that we can't see. Absolutely. Yeah. I notice I'm blushing now. I'm looking at myself on Zoom and I'm blushing and I imagine I'm embarrassed to be so obsessed and excited about my plants. I'm actually, I'm just lonely and therefore I use plans to soothe myself and I don't want people to know that. You're like a mother to all these plants. Exactly. Uh, all right. So, um, so yeah, you're a radical honesty trainer, radical honesty. How, how do you even call it? Practitioner, trainer, coach, trainer. Okay. Radical honesty trainer. And it took me a while to get used to saying that out loud. <laughs> so. What is, um, what is radical honesty? Radical honesty is a practice of noticing and reporting. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. I see your face. <laughs> and it's as simple as that, right? It's as simple as that. And then we can, in different contexts, it, it 
it is applied in different ways. But in principle, it is noticing your own experience and reporting it out loud in contact with another person. Hmm. Okay. And we did a little bit of that before we cl clicked to uh, record. We were Absolutely. Saying, oh, palms are sweaty, feeling a yeah. bit nervous, etc. Yeah. I use radical honesty to regulate my nervous system. Otherwise, it's always in the background as if I'm trying to hide that I'm nervous. It's, it's, it, it hijacks my attention. I cannot focus then on what I'm doing in the moment. So I use it to speak about how I feel, what I'm aware of, to calm myself down. It works. I imagine I could not do lives or do public speaking if I didn't have that tool for myself. That is one thing I did notice. I have noticed about you in the brief conversations we've had, had so far is you're, you're very willing to just admit when you're nervous or you, you're very willing and open about feelings that perhaps another might be like all embarrassed about or try and hide or try and perform their way through. I noticed that you, you just openly admit <laughs> when you feel nervous. And embarrassed and, uh, about feeling nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Admitting every layer to it. Yeah. 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 This is, yeah, I do it to, to help myself to process the experience. Hmm. This is how I've learned it. So why would, um, I guess, when I've, whenever I've mentioned this to people, the, the, the usual response is why, <laughs> what, why, like what's the, why would I practice this? Well, I like to tell those people, you don't have to. And like, after, there's no obligation to be radically honest or to tell the truth. Um, it's simply practical. I'm a practical person. So I like to explain radical honesty from the practical perspective. I, it's practical. It helps me to stay grounded in my experience. My focus sharpens. And I can relate to reality and real human beings around me rather than being dissociated into the la la land, trying to predict what the other person is expecting me to say right now. Uh, and I don't know, those uh, like, or like, what can I say to get the outcome that I want without asking for what I want? How can I, like, I don't know, there's just like this effort to control the environment is absolutely not necessary when you're willing to tell the truth and ask for what you want. It's like you can just chill. Nervous system is calm. There's no stress about. You're open. You're present. Therefore, you're open to whatever comes at you. So you don't need to be prepared and guarded all the time. It's just practical. It's an easier, it's a smooth way of being in the world. In my opinion, that's how I use it for myself. A smooth way of being in the world. Oof. And other people, they like using in relationships. Uh, I don't know. I have, I'm doing honest dating, for example, and they cut the crap in the very first seconds within the date. So I know who I want to date and who I don't want to date. There's like, there's, there are no games that I play and I can see when people are playing games with me and I cut that through and be like, can we just stop pretending because I don't <laughs> want to do it? It's not fun for me. I'm confused. Flirting, when men flirt with me, I go crazy. I don't get it. I don't know the rules <laughs> of this game. Nobody told me the rules. I don't want to predict the rules. I just want to be told what's like 
what are you going through what I want to be well like I want to have permission to share what what I'm going through and relate as humans rather than the roles yeah do you find that that comes as quite a shock if you're on a uh, to, to a person if you're on a date with someone and then you uh and then wabam you just you just you just truthfully report what's going on with you what a shock <laughs> do you often find that reaction happens um i mean hmm. so some some people that i meet they know that i practice radical honesty and then whenever i say something they're like oh this is so radically honest of you and i'm thinking like that's just me doing me i'm not on purposely trying to do radical honesty on you but rather i'm sharing myself here and there are people who don't know that i'm doing radical honesty and they're like wow um, they are a little bit taken aback because they don't expect it and they then don't know what are the, the rules of the game because they don't know that they can be honest that's why i started doing honest dating nights where people get together and it's like you guys are all permitted to tell the truth for upcoming three hours <laughs> and to people like okay so we're we're here all together in the same on the same page that we all want to be honest and tell the truth to each other so the rules have been established and i have I have digital dates when I would schedule a, a video call with the person. And the moment I saw the person, I felt like contraction in my body. And I knew that I don't want to relate to this person because that's not the person that I saw on the, on the profile, on the dating app. And I said, I feel really uncomfortable. I feel horrible to say this to you and I don't want to talk to you. That's not what I signed up for. And he's like, oh, oh, that's okay. That's, that's, that's absolutely fine. You know, we know when we like someone and we don't. And I was like, thanks. I really appreciate you for saying that. I feel relieved you sounding so understanding. And I don't know what was happening in his mind, but that's what he, he told me. Um, and, and he's like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah. And the whole video call took 20 seconds and I was done with the date. <laughs> wow. So you had a video call date and then within 20 seconds, you got a sense for, mm -mm, not in, no, within, <laughs> okay. I got that. I already, I already knew then I just took time to communicate that. So I wouldn't just drop off and be like, oh no, fuck you, not to you then and off. But I, I take time to connect and like be human with another person. And you could tell that from a, a physical contraction in the body within seconds. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. And I struggle with dating apps because I don't get the feeling when I read the profile, but I do get the feeling when I see the person and when I meet them in person. And sometimes I just don't like the smell. I can smell. I'm a very good smeller. <laughs> I smell things very well and sometimes I meet people and I don't like their smell and that's what I say because what gets what gets in the way for me to feel connected to the person and what just hijacks my attention is the fact that I don't like their smell and then I say don't like their smell I don't like your smell and then I feel like you know hot and embarrassed and, and there's like thoughts going through my mind it's like what kind of horrible person you are you are how dare you to say that then receiving another person's reactions because some people they're like they're really like fragile and they struggle to receive this information they make it about themselves 
And then I was like, it's not about you. I just wanted to share it before myself. I need to like get it off my chest. Oh, it's very, it's very alivening, very dynamic. Each encounter with a person when I'm willing just to report what's happening with me. When you're willing to be honest. Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes I'm not willing to be honest. Sometimes I lie. Sometimes I pretend. I would hold. I also had video calls where I would hold because I didn't want the person to think that I am, um, is it that I'm racist? Um, hmm. The person, I thought the person is of one ethnicity, or actually not ethnicity, but I thought the person is of one culture and he was of another culture. And I have decided for myself not to get, not to marry into that culture. And when the person went online, I saw that he's of that culture and I didn't dare to tell him that I don't want to have a relationship or um, build anything with basically his culture, the idea that I have of his culture. So I would just mm. withheld that because I felt really embarrassed and ashamed. Yeah, I even feel a my stomach tense when I speak about it and my voice changes. <clears throat> so despite being a radical honesty trainer, mm -hmm. you are not, you can acknowledge that you're not honest 100% of the time. Yeah. I mean, also I like what the, another trainer, Raven Dana says that she says, what makes us radically honest is not the fact that we are always telling the truth, but we are willing to admit the times that we don't and that we do, we return and clean up whatever we lied about. Mm. And I like, I like that because I feel included in that definition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, damn, that's me. Yeah. And I guess when you, when you are honest, when you make the commitment to be honest, then you'll have thoughts that or you'll have things come up that might be taboo or they might be they might cross certain barriers of of what's acceptable uh, by most people and, and and whatnot and that's just when you make the commitment to to put honesty first you may have things like that come up like your own prejudice prejudices and biases and the rest of it right I think that that we can we can get to the question what makes radical honesty radical. For sure, yeah, and, and specifically what makes it radical as opposed to um, brutal, because that's often when I've explained this to people. Um, oftentimes they'll just without noticing it they'll just say, "Yeah, I'm I'm pretty brutally brutally honest sometimes." It's like, no, no. There's there's a distinction here. Um, brutal brutal honesty is not radical honesty. There's like a difference, but people seem to associate the two together. And I was wondering if you could sort of tease them apart for me as well. So there, I'm gonna tease it in, in three parts now. Radical first of all means from the root. The it's Latin radis means the root, and this is what what I say that it's report is. Noticing what noticing what I'm experiencing and reporting out loud. So I need to bring my attention to my own root, my own body, which is the root of everything that I'm experiencing in the, in the world. 
and report that. So radical simply means from the core, from myself, and then radical in a way that's unconventional, that sometimes we do say things that other people go like, what? <laughs> that totally just doesn't fit in the anticipated rules of a conversation. Um, and then people usually, because of the cultural um, connotations with the word radical, people do uh, confuse it with brutal. And also we all learn to lie because we have been punished um, for being honest. So for many people, being honest is a very high value um, because they never actually got to practice being honest because being honest is something that has been punishable for them. And that's why in radical honesty, we say there, there's no moralism about being honest. You're just are honest because it makes sense. It feels good. It improves your quality of relationship, of existence. It gives you peace of mind. It gives you the, like, you can create the life that you want based on what you want at the very core, not based on what you think the other person expects you to want for yourself. Mm. Yeah. Does that answer the, does that separate radical, brutal distinction? Yeah, I think so. So brutal honesty I mean, in your experience, do you encounter, like, say, if you're, you're teaching this to people, mm -hmm. does it ever happen that a person um, mistakes radical honesty for brutal honesty and maybe drifts more towards the brutal side of things? And what would that, and what would that even look like as well? Yeah. So eventually people come with all kinds of self-defenses and coping strategies and they use communication for all kinds of means to get what they want and hurt people want to hurt other people and angry people want to piss off other people and sometimes they use language to do that and so sometimes people use i i also have People come to me and say, well, I'm just like, I'm really honest. I have no problem to tell when somebody's fucking up something or whenever somebody's doing something wrong. But that's not, that's just shitting on other people. That's you sharing that you, you don't like something and you're expecting the, the other person to receive it somehow. The radical part of the radical honesty is that you start with yourself and then you share in a way that's vulnerable for you in a way that, and when you want to hurt other people, then you say, I want to hurt you. That's why I'm saying this. Mm, okay, okay, that, that answers it for me. Because that the brutal part almost suggests to me that there's, a, there's an intention that's underlying the communication. And that intention is to hurt or to get revenge or to, or to, you're saying something in response to a resentment that you're not really expressing clearly, but you're saying this to meet that need of yours. And you're not being fully honest if you're doing that, because if you were, you'd communicate openly, I resent you for this thing. I resent you for saying this or whatever. But instead, the brutal honesty, I, I, yeah, that, that clears it up for me because, yeah, the brutal honesty is, it's not full honesty. It's, 
It doesn't seem that way to me. Yeah. Um, a brutal honesty is basically an indirect expression of anger in order to control your environment. Radical honesty is that you reveal you're completely honest. You're honest from the very second you place your awareness on yourself. So you reveal your sensations, your intention, and the content of your thoughts. And also you communicate your thoughts as your thoughts. I'm thinking you're a piece of shit. <laughs> I notice my, <laughs> I notice my, like, I don't know, my, my, my belly is hot and they feel a lot of tension and movement in my jaw and my hands are hot and I'm, I'm just thinking that you're a piece of shit and I resent you for leaving the cup on the table for the third time in a row after you told me that you're not going to leave it there anymore. It's not blamey. It's descriptive where I describe my experience to you and I express it in, in a tone of voice that fits my, the intensity of my experience. And sometimes language gets in the way and I just tell people to growl like dogs do, like <laughs> be angry because sometimes languaging gets in the way to you to experience the experience. The purpose of, of radical honesty, the, the deeper meaning of it, which is, which is, I don't usually say it because people don't get it who aren't in the personal development or meditation um, field, is to experience your experience. It takes... 90 seconds for the body to process an input from the environment. And when you're honest about, and you can report and describe your experience, you process and you're burning whatever is happening inside you. So if you're angry, you can get over your anger. If you're sad, you can get over your sadness. If you're, if you're joyful, you can get over your joy. If you're obsessed about something, you can get over the obsession. It's very fast when you're willing to accept, report, be in contact with other people. Mm, I like that. Yeah, I like that. So I think something that's, that I've, when I've brought this up, because when I discovered this, I, I ba it basically permeated most of my conversations for a solid two weeks. <laughs> uh, so I got some feedback from people um, as just to the idea of this. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty clear on what makes it you know, what makes it radical. Um, but a question I often get is, uh, I must have had it like three, three or four times now, is, is it really necessary to be radical though? Is it necessary? Is it, isn't it just necessary to just be a bit more honest and then that's it? No, it's not, absolutely not necessary. I think white lies have their function in society and I think radical honesty also has its function in your own world and that when you learn radical honesty then you can decide whether you want to tell a white lie and also the so when i tell a white lie i'm saying i'm scared to tell you the truth so i'm going to tell you a white lie right now and then we giggle about it um but for example with authority with my tax office I don't want them to know my personal life. I don't trust my tax office. I don't trust police. I do tell white lies to my tax office. I'm scared of them. Those are people that I imagine have control over my life and have no control over their emotional reactivity. So I'm scared to tell something that they might not like that maybe I don't know that I shouldn't maybe saying or doing something. So I lie. 
I think lying has lying has a good function in our society, except except that when your lying gets in a way for you to experience your life fully, that's when you can tell the truth because it works each time. Huh. And I guess it's the when we lie unconsciously. And what one thing I like what you what you said a, a little while ago is um mentioning and, and sort of reporting your thoughts as thoughts rather than just this assumption that it's the truth like the, the, the God's given truth. language yeah like just a thought or a story that your mind produced it is it, it, it has to be true because i just had the thought so therefore it's definitely true <laughs> and in my experience i've noticed that that can really get people into a lot of trouble a lot of like emotional turmoil so they just believe what they think which is which is crazy if you, if you think about it. This um, is a form of insanity, yes. <laughs> to believe everything you think rather than noticing that this is a thought that I am witnessing. Yeah. Um, and then to, to, to assign complete ownership over the thoughts you have is also insanity because like, I had this, I, this thought come up. It's, it's definitely true and it's me and I had it and it's truth. It's like, oh my word. <laughs> well, yeah. Then uh, you're just at the whim and wish of, of what your mind does, which is just chaotic. Um, so, yeah. so yeah, I think this is why I, I feel quite passionate about this because, I mean, as a brief, just as a brief stop off, I'd, I've done a lot of meditation in my life. Uh, it felt quite, um, you know, it's, it's quite a, a personal experience. It's quite solitary, solitary in a way. Um, mm -hmm. but radical honesty, this, the whole practice of it seems like it's meditative, meditative and, and in nature, but it's not solitary. It's actually like a, a, a lived meditation that involves other people directly. Yeah. And for me, it kind of bridges the gap between just a meditation practice that you just do for 20 to 30 minutes on your own in your room every day and the rest of life. Because I noticed for a while that I, I had a meditation practice, 20, 30 minutes, but then I was going into the world, interacting with people in an, in an inauthentic way, feeling unfulfilled in my connections and stuff like that. And it's like the, the gap was, I was finding it difficult to bridge the gap. Like I was in meditation mode for one minute, but then when I talked to people, I'd be in, hey, I'm, hey, I'm happy, Ollie, nice guy, yeah. <laughs> and it, it'd just be that the, the, the bridge was not there. And it just seems to me that radical honesty is that bridge. Yeah, I think so. And so my own personal journey was that I was very, when I became aware of my thoughts, which was in my 20s, I was like, oh my God, I'm having thoughts. And then I'm having my body as a set, like, it's just things are happening. And I was like, I have never experienced it myself so livid before. And when I discovered my thoughts, I became obsessed about understanding the, how the mind works. So I did a lot of everything from psychedelics to meditation therapy um so i then I understood how the mind works and i was like okay so the mind is quite repetitive it's very predictable it's kind of boring okay what is what is what is like my body then okay so why do i feel so shitty in my body so i started to change my diet i i started to exercise i started to yoga i started to do like crazy things with my body it was like oh my god my body's like that's such a like a like a plastiline like I can just like do things with my myself and I can produce things with my body it's like amazing but I was still kind of unhappy and the missing link was my relationship with the outside world because I also did a lot of meditation and the solitary like I would be with people one person and I was like okay 
I have to now take the people out because this is too much. I need to go back to where it feels safe, which is with my mind and my body, which is a, solid, which is a spiritual practice, basically. And I don't know, we're just like really struggling to maintain relationship. People were exhausting for me. I would get exhausted with people. I was like, I need, I need a break from humans now. Or I was like, I hate humanity. Oh, those people. And it was like very judgmental towards people, but I would not tell them until I decided to also share what I'm thinking about those people in contact with them. And that gave me more, more thrills in my body. And that was the missing link. So now like when I talk about what I teach, I include, so we get the, the mental realm, the mind, we have the physical realm of your own body. And then we have the reality and all the triangle, that connection is your existence. And you can fulfill yourself by attending all three parts. I really like what you said that radicalness is a very meditative. It is, we call it an interpersonal meditation where you can sit with it. Like when I'm in love with someone, the, my favorite thing to do, and I think people do it when they're in love, they just don't know that they do it. They sit, they lay in bed, they look at each other or they're with the phone, look at the person and they're like, ah, I like you. And they feel the warm <laughs> sensations and they also share their thoughts because they trust the person. And this is, so you can bring that in every of your personal relationships with whoever is willing to do that with you. Mm. So might you say then that, you know, if you're in love with somebody, then that gives you the, and one of the, maybe one of the reasons why feeling in, being in love with someone is so gratifying is because it, it gives us this, this sort of permission almost to just fully be who we are yeah. with that person and, and without without trying to change or play a role or trying to manipulate or do this and that you can actually just feel completely yourself like feel completely known um i've, I've often had that that insight yeah it's like all the pretenses and the walls can come down and you're just there with the person yeah and yourself yeah because the, the the hormones are so high though you feel your your body hyphen you're like you're horny you're in love it's like it's just wonderful and this other person you idealize the other person and then like whatever i'm gonna say they're just gonna smile because they idealize me as well so just like drunk on goodness <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty great it is pretty it's pretty good <laughs> yeah well on that note how um how does radical honesty affect, you know, your relationships? Because, because one thing, another, again, this is, um, I'm, I've, I kind of harvested the questions and talking points that people brought to me when I mentioned this, and one of them is um, re regarding relationships. And the question, I mean, paraphrase slightly, was, wouldn't offending and hurting people with radical honesty, um, wouldn't being radically honest, wouldn't that affect you this area of your life? like negatively wouldn't this wouldn't offending people um through radical honesty wouldn't that be negative wouldn't have a negative impact on your relationships absolutely it does <laughs> <laughs> otherwise okay. otherwise people would be honest we we lie because we want to we we are willing to sacrifice our own connection to preserve the whatever the connection is available out there with other people 
if if there were no consequences, if that brought no negative uh, results, we would be honest because there would be no point in not being honest. So ah. um, when I started practicing radical honesty, which was in 2014, 2014 was the loneliest year of my life. I went from a very popular connected to number of alternative subcultures here in Berlin, going meeting people every day, mostly partying, getting drunk and doing social smoking, having my ladder with me so that I can always get a conversation with anyone on the street to somebody who I was not, I was tired. I was not willing to please anyone. I was not willing to smile when I don't feel like smiling. I was not willing to, I didn't, I couldn't like, I couldn't endure alcohol. I didn't want to smoke anymore. My body was just like repulsed. Like I, I felt like I'm missing connection in clubs and bars and I was tired of the chit chatting and I was not willing to be that party person pleaser anymore. And uh, people didn't like that honest Yura who's sad and depressed and something is wrong with me and I don't know what is, what's up. And they went on and I was not willing to drink with them. I was not willing to smoke. And they went on doing their own things. And I went on in my solitude things like, how the fuck am I creating? Like what I'm gonna do next? And so that's how I started Radical Honesty in Berlin without knowing that Radical Honesty is a thing. And the very first time I invited my friends to talk about, hey, like, how about let's just like, let's talk about what happens if we all tell the truth, if we're all honest. Everybody left angry with each other. I was silent the whole night. I was like, I was just witnessing conversations like, oh my God, I broke these people. I broke my friendship. <laughs> they hate each other. They probably hate me, but I did not speak. I didn't have, I didn't know, or I didn't have the capacity or ability, or I didn't know that I can just share what's going on with me back then. So it was really tough. It was really tough. I mean, back in the day when I just started, there was only like one workshop a year that Brad Blanton would come to Greece and teach. Now there are workshops all over Europe. So we have good and network of support for people. And we like we there's always someone to catch you when you practice radical honesty. But at the very beginning, for me and my colleagues who just started back then, was was just like trial and error, and we lost many people, we hurt many people. It's like shit happened, and we learned how to deal with it as we went. We did the best we could. We all do the best we could. So it will. So if you you start practicing radical honesty. The likelihood is that it will shake things up. It will Absolutely. affect your present relationships. So, but it, it seems to me though, that the, the, the payoff over the longer term is more satisfying relationships, more you know, relationships based on honesty, based on authenticity and a closer relationship with the truth of you both. Um, because it seems to me if you just start becoming like radically honest with people and those relationships go tits up, <laughs> then it would seem then that the, if, if the truth is all it takes for that relationship to, to crumble, then it was, it seems to me that it was on a kind of shaky foundation of 
dishonesty anyway. Yeah, I like to think of it that way too. We have learned strategies, manipulation and ways how to get what we want without showing what we want. And we build roles and characters and we also attracted and, you know, we related to people who are willing to do exactly what we do. So everybody came and did the show and usually it takes a crisis like a car accident or a relative dies or something happens for people to go into life like the the life crisis and be like I don't know who I am I don't know what I've been doing for the past 50 years I don't know who's this person in front of me I've never asked them how they are we always talked about the weather whoa I'm just having goosebumps since, since you say that because um I've experienced that in my own life, <laughs> totally. Mm-hmm. I because uh, I only discovered radical honesty this this book a, a number of months ago, and I kind of I remember about four weeks after that I was on a, a video call with my family, and I remember just having a very um, concerning realization that I was on the the call with them and I was looking at my father and I was like, I don't know who this man is. And it wasn't like a dissociative, I wasn't having like a derealization episode or anything. I was just like, I don't know who this man is. I don't know what he feels. I don't know what he thinks. I don't know what he wants. He's just been playing the role of archetypal father my whole life, but I don't know the person. And then it was just very strange. It was very hard to ha- continue to have the same kind of conversation when on the on the call, I was just like, who is this person? <laughs> and yeah, I just, uh, the reason like when you were saying that, I was just getting goosebumps because I, I, I thought of that. It's like, whew, whew, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. I had um, once my therapist asked me, um, would you hang out with your sister? Like, would you be... Would you, would you want her as your friend? And I was like, hell no. And that was the realization. I really wanted my sister's approval. She's eight years older. So like she's the big sister and she was my second mom. And I grew up like admiring her and aspiring to her, but she was always mean to me. She probably hated me for being born because I just like got in a way to her teenage years. And it took me, like I was in my, what, 28, 29 years old already when my therapist, she asked, is like, do you want to hang out with your sister? I was like, no. It's like, do you even know your sister? I was like, no. Like I haven't got into actual direct contact with her and she's not willing to get into actual direct contact. But we're sisters, this like mystic role play that um, eventually... I have to just acknowledge, okay, we've been role-playing our whole lives, but we actually never got to know each other because of the age difference and probably some unresolved emotional baggage that I was willing to address, but then she was not willing. I was like, okay, so if this is just a one-way street, then there's nothing for me to do. I'm just going to sit and wait until she gets curious about me one day. If she doesn't, that's also fine. That's mind-blowing to me. I don't know. It's mind blowing to me. It really is that 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 you can know someone your whole life um, and not really know, know them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you could you could be in contact with them, but you're both playing. Oh, she's my sister. Therefore, like, because also when it comes to family, there's this assumption: uh, you have to love your family. Of course, they're family. 
you have to love them. And then it was, I've always found that quite a strange thing to be told because who I love doesn't seem to be a choice. It, it seems to be something that I experience, but I don't choose the experience. Otherwise, I just choose to just love everyone and just be blissed out and be like, yeah, you know, but I don't seem to choose it. So when I've had, because I've, 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 I've often been told this throughout my upbringing, like explicitly, like family, you, you love your family. They're the, they're the closest people in your life and stuff. And I'm, I've always been like, well, I don't know if I do. <laughs> like, I don't know if, I don't know if I feel that, you know, and I don't know if you guys do either. So I don't know, <laughs> so, so I, don't, I don't know where, I don't know where this role is coming from and what, what, what it's serving, but but um, but yeah, the family thing is interesting. So my my question is yeah. like, what do you mean the closest people? Because <laughs> these are like the furthest people I know <laughs> from me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, the family thing is a is a is a tricky one. Um, but anyway, I want to um kind of switch gears just a just a little because there's a yeah there's a question that's quite. Quite a, quite a powerful one, really. Quite a, quite an aspect of. I mean, when I read the book Radical Honesty by, because I know you mentioned Brad Blanton earlier, and just for anyone that doesn't um, know who Brad Blanton is, he's the author of Radical Honesty, basically. Um, so just to give you some context, but uh, there was a, there's a chapter in the book um, where he expresses that with his clients, he would suggest that his clients go through their past and actually. Like, like contact people from the past who they maybe have wronged in some way or some secret that they're still harboring. And even if that, you know, the person they're contacting is, it's like they've not spoke to them in years. Uh, unless I'm mistaken, of course, Brad suggested that they do that. And again, I wonder, uh, this is my own question. Is that, is that really necessary? Um, and if so, why is it necessary? Like, aren't we just opening up kind of old, old wounds for, for no, you know, for no good reason? Um, what, what's your take on that? Mm -hmm. Well, we introduce people with the reason why it would be a good idea, why it is a good idea. It, it worked for us and it worked for practitioners before us. And we do see that it works. Um, First of all, the way you are right now in this moment is an accumulation of unfinished business from your past. And unfinished business is when someone scared you and you thought, oh, I need to pretend to be cool. And that fear remained as a memory stored in your body in the form of tension. And you have a mind that is reactive and responsible for you never experience that again because you've never learned how to deal with it in reality with real people. So you're avoiding specific type of people who sound in a familiar way or who have familiar facial expressions to the very person who might have scared you when you were five years old. In the same way how you choose your partners, the people that you feel drawn to, the people that you feel repulsed is a direct result of what happened to you from the moment you were in your mom's belly up until seven or eight years old. The way you respond, the reality that you create, everything that you do is a, a repetition of what 
the strategies that you had to use while growing up. We're really just repeating ourselves. This is psychology one-on-one. 101. And why therapy works is that people get to tell the truth in therapy and open up about these very painful experiences from the past and grieve and get angry, feel moved, laugh it off from the times that they were not, they couldn't because they were dependable, small, they didn't have the choice, you know, circumstances, the culture. Um, and in radical honesty, we take it the next step, the further step for you to clean it up completely. You have to go back to the crime scene. It's, it's like if you've been chased by the tiger, you need to turn back and ask the tiger, what's up, tiger? What do you want from me? And usually there's like a, a Buddhist um, allegory where the tiger is actually bringing a diamond in, the, in these teeth, but you never got to see it because you've always been avoiding the tiger. It's like, oh no, I'm afraid of it. <laughs> so each conversation with the people from the past brings out the, the, the jewel where you get to experience yourself and, and complete what it has been incomplete in, within your body and your mind. Open, open, opening up the wound provides you with an opportunity to heal if you do it with support and if you learn if you learn how that's why we do it we teach people how to do it in workshops that's why practicing on your own it's the radical honesty is not a solitary practice you need at least another person to be honest with and that's why you need also community because you need people who hold you and support you and you know that well I'm, gonna, I'm about to do something really, really scary, but I know I'm not alone. There are a bunch of people right behind me doing the same thing and we get back together and we're gonna talk about it and things gonna, I'm gonna be approved, I'm valid, me and my feelings, my memories. I deserve to exist in this world as I do. Now I just need to face the fear. And usually people, like the, when people experience impasse in relationship, after the, like the the in love phase uh what is it like the it changes into when you when you start seeing the the other person's like huh they poop actually <laughs> i don't like the smell of their fart and then you have and you're in an impasse because in your previous relationship you never went over the impasse of expressing dislike to the person that you love like a parent so you don't know what to do you're in a dilemma i love the person but their fart smell and something is wrong with me that I need to work on myself or I need to control the other person to be a little bit different. But what's actually missing is for that person to express it directly and say, I don't like your fart. I love you. And I don't like some things of you. And that experience, experiential that moves. And then, and that, that thought just loses their, the relevance in, in your mind. It's like, yeah, I said it. Now I can tolerate that. Now I can smell your fart so all day long. So the, the, like the, when you reach an impasse in your life, that's just from, you haven't, you haven't went through that impasse while growing up. That's why going back to talking with parents, siblings, teachers, ex-spouses, bosses, it's, it's crucial for you to like know how to go through impasses in your life and create the life that you want right now. Not, re not reactively, 
because you already know how to deal with something that arises because you dealt with it from the past. So that would be the longer version, I think. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. So the, the benefits for the individual and going back to the past, going back through the past and talking to people and stuff is, um, yeah, that's, that's not lost on me. That makes complete sense. The one of the, one comment I got from a person about this particular aspect was more like, isn't it selfish? Uh, won't you, when you go back, let's say for example, you, um, I don't know, like the example that Brad uses in the book, um, let's say you had an affair, uh, with, uh, with a, an ex who you were with, this is not his example, but I'm embellishing, um, have like say 10 years ago or whatever. And you've not spoke to that person for ages and you never told them and it's, you're harboring that, but going back and telling that person, wouldn't that be like, and you're doing it for your own healing and you know, the question is then, is that not selfish? You know, is that not something that you would have to just harbor yourself? Why, you know, the question would be like, why drag someone else into that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Radical honesty is selfish. And it's, it's also selfish not to be selfish. Not to be selfish is a selfish, selfish act by design because you get to remain in control and predict or control how the other person is perceiving you. So it's a selfish act. Whoa. Not to be selfish. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. 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 Boom. Let me just, I want to just make sure I've got that because yeah. that's, I don't, I want to make sure that's not just a drive by sentence that I don't. Okay. So it's pretty not, important. Yeah. It's, it seems pretty essential this because <laughs> one thing I keep encountering with people, both in my own like coaching practice and the people we help and stuff is like, there's this felt sense that, if I do something for me, it's, it's, it's selfish. Therefore I'm a bad person. So what you just said, um, is like not being selfish, um, is a form of like, it's a form of control, controlling how people perceive you. Correct. And you're doing that in order to meet, in order for your yourself anyway. So it's inherently selfish. So you can't, you, so you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or in other words, we're all selfish. It's very selfish to call someone selfish. Hmm. We're all selfish. We, if we weren't so selfish, we would die. We have to be living for ourselves. Otherwise, we would not eat. We would not inhale air. We, have, we are preserved to maintain this body. And the way we do it, by using our minds that created to preserve our experience and to make sure that everything is safe. It's experience is selfish by design and most of the time culturally shame is used to control other people and calling them selfish is that tool of shame mm. it's like here how dare you who do you think you are <laughs> to do what you like <laughs> i'm like how dare you yeah. to to question <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> How dare you meet your needs? How dare... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's um, one thing I, I've just got to say, one thing I am enjoying about many of the answers you've given to these questions 
<laughs> it's like, isn't it selfish? Doesn't it affect your relationships negatively? Yeah. <laughs> and then what I was kind of, what, what, what a kind of expectation I had in my mind was like, you'd say, oh no, that's a misconception or, oh no, actually that's a misunderstanding that's very, very common. But instead it was like, yes, it will affect your relationships negatively. Isn't it selfish? Yes, it is selfish. And? <laughs> uh, yeah, I just, I just wanted to share that that's something I've been, I'm quite enjoying. Um, so yeah, so I think that. I, I think I, I do want to tell to people about, about hurting other people's feelings. Hmm. Just like you have to hurt a child's feelings when you deny them to stick a metal thing, a metal rod into an electric socket. You, you're teaching a child do not kill yourself do not stick that thing it might kill you at the same time you're allowing an opportunity for the child to process their feelings if you're not the kind of parents like oh no big boys don't cry or like you're so sensitive little girls like you know toughen up suck it up um if you're a good parent you allow a child to process the disappointment of, the disappointment of not getting what they want the sadness and the grief of maybe losing a loved one a dog or whatever in the same way when you're when you have cheated on your spouse 10 years ago when you go to that spouse you're gonna kill that idea that she had of you so let her grieve at the same time if you want to separate and your spouse doesn't want to separate then you're gonna create the same reaction of like i want us to be together and then wave of sadness why can't i have it mm. so when hurt feelings provides humans an opportunity to learn how to deal with hurt feelings and most of us have been trained to walk up on eggshells around each other if coming from dysfunctional families where you had to walk up on eggshells around your parents because you had to manage their parents by good performance good behavior and whatever um, that we don't have that skill for ourselves. We are really bad at managing our own emotions. And also that's what radical honesty talks about. And this is what we teach. And that's why people go to workshops to learn how to do it well. That's why people who practice, they read the book and then they go practice radical honesty with their loved ones. And they're like, well, that didn't go well. I don't know what happened. I just told the truth and they got mad at me. Yeah, then go back and have the conversation about how you feel about them getting mad at you for what you shared. The conversation doesn't stop there. You continue. You continue sticking with the person for until you both feel like, yeah, I think I feel good now. I'm happy to drop this off now. Um, and also the people who, when, when they read the book, what they don't get is the somatics, is that they do not... Most people are really bad at paying attention to their own body and feeling their body. And we, the body is the main tool with which we process feelings. So you need to have a proper training, so to say, to be willing to have the capacity, increase the capacity to bring your awareness to your own body so that you can feel and process feelings as they come at, at you without any like, oh, I shouldn't be this way. Oh, I'm so emotional. And all the unfinished business from the past then comes up. I shouldn't be crying so much. Or I shouldn't be emotional. <laughs> I should be cool. I asked for polyamorous relationship. I shouldn't be jealous. <clears throat> no, you're jealous, then be jealous. You're angry, then feel angry. You're sad and feel sad. You, you feel depressed, be depressed. 
it's mm. it's really that straightforward whatever you are in the moment is the most authentic versions of of yourself be it fully within your body and that takes time and skill to mm. do that what you just said is what makes it meditative in my view is you're attending to the truth of you in each moment uh, you're attending to it and you're communicating it and yeah it seems to me <clears throat> this idea of, of hurting people's feelings i think this idea of hurting people's feelings i think that's what i can see already is is, is a real barrier for people is this idea of hurting people's feelings and what i'm hearing from what you're saying about this is that the very idea or the associations we have about hurting people's feelings that even even that's worth reconsidering it's like because the idea is that if you hurt a person's feelings that makes you bad and i think i think that's obviously that's something i think we've been taught i mean i was certainly taught that it's like if you can't say if you can't say something nice don't say anything at all yeah <laughs> <laughs> good, good luck with yeah. that by the way good good luck living by that one and and feeling happy and fulfilled in your life good luck um yeah didn't work for me but that's the idea isn't it is that like you hurting a person's feelings um if you're just telling the truth it's like like hurting people's feelings does not make you fundamentally make you a bad person there there's no such thing as a good or a bad person Ooh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we're all people doing our best and there's someone who will come and call you a bad person and then you know oh they're using god's language they really they probably really believe that i am a bad person am i really a bad person i don't know well sometimes i i regret the decisions that i made am i ingrainedly bad person i don't know who is to decide um, I do think that when you hurt other person's feelings, then you have a person with hurt feelings and you also probably feel somehow about it. Then if you're mad about how their feelings are hurt, then you have two people who are emotional with each other. If you are sad, also your feelings get hurt because their feelings are hurt, then you have two hurt people in contact with each other. So I, 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 I want to also to introduce that idea that to look a little bit of what happens in reality. There are two human beings made of flesh and bones who are having feelings with each other. And the way you can um, support each other is by sticking around. So don't run away when your feelings get hurt, stick around, keep talking, keep feeling being in contact with each other because feelings like every experience it comes and goes if you allow your experience to to be it will come and go if you resist it persist so if you if you resist feeling hurt then you will prolong your hurtness and if you allow yourself to be hurt especially in contact with someone then you increase your chances for it to move through you and something else will happen Mm. you have a good cry and then you're like well now i'm hungry <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's very very human <laughs> yeah yeah you're a me 
I have a few real world examples of times uh, this this I've I've asked a few questions for people like to bring in some real world examples of of times when they may have been uh, knowingly dishonest you know they, they, when they've not practiced radical honesty when they've told white lies or whatever the case is so I wanted to um no I want <laughs> I want to read these to you and I want to get your take on them um just to just to get a sense for what you would suggest a person how 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 a person would deal with this from a more of a radically honest sort of approach awesome bring it on my okay. favorite part <laughs> lovely yes all right then so uh okay so the first example these are all anonymous first example i'll just read exactly what this person wrote i don't always disclose how i think or feel in the moment to people i'm working with I have depressive tendencies and I know that at times I can be in an extremely negative and cynical mood for no good reason. I also know that I can be very persuasive and I am in a position of authority. So I could easily demotivate an entire team of people and perhaps derail a project to some degree by letting my momentary gloom infect other people. If context appropriate, I will let my team know that I'm in a bad state but I will not disclose any details and I will not communicate my negative perspective because A, my depression is not their problem and B, I know that my current worldview is biased by depression and that in a more sober state, I will see things differently again. You could argue that it would be more truthful and honest to fully disclose what I think and feel in the moment, including a disclaimer about my depressed state, but I believe this would still be an unnecessary and ultimately unproductive burden to place on a team. Mm -hmm. so if there isn't there isn't really no right way to to comment the situation I have my I can share my own personal experience and I also want to share my suspicion and my suspicion is that if the person is in a leadership position their depression and their states do affect the whole group so them withholding the information thinking that it doesn't affect the group does affect the group and also also affects your own personal depression i imagine it prolongs it in my opinion in my experience actually hmm. um now this is how i handled in my life when i was suicidal depressed a few years ago um i it took me a long time to speak it out loud to my closest person to my partner back then and he freaked out and he didn't know what to do. I, I freaked out about the fact that he freaked out. I was like, I feel responsible. This is such a big burden. I'm so sorry that I told you. I'm so sorry for existing, blah, blah, blah. This is, this is all depression thoughts. I'm feeling like a burden, not, not deserving to live, being negative and just like pissy about every, every little thing. But when in contact with other people, kind of collapsing and be like, I'm so sorry. I don't know what's happening. Um. And I started to share that with him, then with my closest friends. And they were also shocked because I was just like hyper success, successful, overachiever, or the, the one who was uplifting. I was in complete opposite of that. And people didn't know how to deal with it. And the people, also my friends, um, those people that I would, those my, of my friends that I would go for help, they were completely useless. They didn't know what to do with this information. So I had to go and look for different friends 
who knew who have experienced depression before and I was in contact with them and they were very understanding and supportive so I just shifted my friend circle basically into the people who understand what I'm going through and told them and that was really difficult to speak about but once I opened up to them I also opened up to my clients and my workshop participants I would have my workshops as usual because I, I was still functioning and the very first thing that I would tell people in my workshop was like well I had a really horrible day I cried all day in my bed I feel tired and exhausted and I worry that you will all feel affected by my low energy levels and and then I would say I think I have depression I think I'm depressed because back then I didn't know and the whole room felt touched appreciated me appreciated me for that there was nobody who there are so there are so many people who could also relate because at some point in their life they had been struggling with depression and they told no one or they have a family member who's struggling with depression and you know how hard it is and they don't know what to do with them so I received all kinds of reactions but definitely not the ones that I expected to <laughs> mm. and as I went in contact with every person and I said I met my friends I said I feel like shit and then that's it I just feel like shit there's nothing to do about it there's nothing to change there's there's like like this is how I feel I feel horrible today I was thinking about killing myself all kinds of ways it was like well that's intense at the beginning but then later on it's just like these are just thoughts these are thoughts in my mind later on I started imagining about killing other people because I was so full of anger and rage that's intense that's something I brought to my therapist like well you're probably really angry let's explore and experience that anger that drives those thoughts so I think that speaking about your depression is the first step to healing your depression first of all and also your mood and my mood affects everybody. We're all connected in the same room. There is absolutely nobody who's immune to a human being in the room that's feeling somehow. We're all connected. We just don't pay attention to it. And I think that if you shared your depression to your colleagues, you might find a great support. You might find that maybe your colleagues, the people in your team also struggle with depression, but they don't talk about it for the same reasons that you don't. So I think that healing happens once you start talking about things like that that would be my tiny little short answer to that little <laughs> situation <laughs> okay okay wonderful the second example we can uh, move on to the second one absolutely my dad feeding table food to our dog i feel super angry about this because it's like he's hurting her and her health he obviously really loves her, so he wants to give her food. I feel angry about it, but I'm not honest with him because anger is generally not something that feels okay to express. Yeah. Tough. It's like feeling righteous about how a parent should parent their children is difficult. But one thing that like, you cannot say what's right and wrong for the dog and what you can do is express how you feel and you say, I don't like it. I've, I think that you're damaging her health, the dog's health. And I'm mad at you for feeding the table food to the dog. It triggers the thought pattern that you don't, that you're just harming her. 
and you can and that just being telling that to the dad already moves a lot of that simmering anger it moves it away and the dad if it's not okay in the family to express anger then the dad might use some kind of manipulation technique i was like how dare you to be angry at me who do you think you are no she's fine she's good and like i love her or like why would you be angry at me when i express my love to the dog it's like this is all manipulation the, the dad is probably also just angry at you for being angry at him or the dad is like i'm a bad parent i'm so sorry another manipulation technique then they probably might feel scared and sad about you being angry at them address start with the feelings being simple with the feelings always works better than trying to intellectualize why you feel what you feel and whether it's okay or not okay feelings are feelings they're there just like your heart is beating there's nothing wrong or bad about your heart beating in the same way there's nothing wrong or bad having feelings going through your body or having thoughts yeah next okay <laughs> lovely <laughs> The third and final example is the shortest, uh, but it's one that I can, I, can, I can certainly relate to. Going on a date with a woman. Halfway through, I suddenly lose spark and interest. I don't want to carry on the date, but I don't want to hurt her feelings, so I stay until the end anyway. I feel so sad when I hear it. I imagine I've done, I've done that too in my life, and... I just ended up being very resentful towards the, my date and very cautious about who to go on a date with next. And I already shared at the very beginning of the podcast that I, this is how I handle this. Like I, if I know that who I like within seconds, then I, I share it. And it's, it's tough each time to say it. I'm not interested in you anymore. And then to stick with it and just be like, Oh my God, this is intense. And I'm, I, Usually women, and I think people do pick up on things like that. And I would bet that she also endured and stayed in that date, <laughs> just like you did. It's, it's <laughs> more oftentimes than ever, when you tell the truth, the other person already knew it or did, you know, you're playing your role and the other person just like joins you in that dance of playing that role. So when you call out the role, the other person will be like, oh, fine, now we can drop it. I was like, I'm glad you brought it up. Okay, so those were the, uh, those were the three examples. I'm, I'm curious of this, uh, what's going to happen in this, this next segment. Um, so, okay, I'm, I'm kind of putting myself on the chopping block here as a bit of a guinea pig, but I want to do that because uh, honesty is a deep value of mine. <laughs> for better or for worse. <laughs> uh, so if I, okay, so let's say, um, you know, I'm just, um, I'll come to you for help with this uh, to learn how to practice it. Um, I'm wondering if there's an exercise that you could take me through now um, or is it something you'd recommend I do elsewhere with someone else? Like, I'm just curious, like if I came to you as a fresh like I don't, I've not really heard of radical honesty a bit much. I've not read the book yet, da, 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 but I'm maybe having issues and in interpersonal relationships or whatever. And I come to you, what's like an exercise you could, you could suggest I do. Um, and if, if there is one you could do now, maybe we could run that through now. Yeah. 
So I think I, since we talked about dating, and I think it's relevant for the age group that you and I are. So I, was, I do want to suggest an exercise for those who are dating. And I would like to, I usually, when I meet people, I ask them, how do you want me to, per, to be perceived by me right now? So Oliver, how do you want to be perceived by me right now? <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, how the question is, how do I want to be perceived by you? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, like I've got everything, like I've got it all together. Mm -hmm. Like I've, like I'm, um, like I'm in control um of myself of this entire sort of podcast situation um but also i want to be perceived by you as uh charming as uh, witty as interesting um if i'm being completely honest <laughs> oh man <laughs> that's so uh, that's it before <laughs> oh no no, no that was <laughs> That that there was the full truth. That's how I, that's how I would like to be perceived by you. Thank you. Well, I would like to be perceived as pretty. I would like you. I would like you to think that my voice sounds good, and I want you to perceive me as someone who is relaxed and really good at what they're doing. I want you to think that I'm really good at radical honesty. Yeah. Now I feel like the the. The butterflies in my in my stomach are up. <laughs> that's so simple. That's 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 so simple. But it's so. I f I felt something move. Mm -hmm. I I can't quite. I can't quite place exactly what it was, but I felt something move, something shift energetically, physically. I'm not off the hook yet. <laughs> okay. how 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 you don't want to be perceived by me mm. i hmm, how how don't i want to be perceived by you i don't want to be perceived as um boring yeah I didn't know that was going to come up, but that just, that just came up. The word boring just came up when I asked myself the questions. Like I don't, and that's true. I don't want to be perceived as, as boring, uninteresting, unengaging. I don't want to be perceived in such a way that would cause you to sort of roll your eyes and be like, Oh God, I wish this guy just shut up. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's uh, yeah, that's it. Well, I don't want you to perceive me as someone childish. I don't want you to see me as childish. And I think I'm regulating my tone of voice because I don't want the listeners to uh, hear a childish tone of voice in my voice. Yeah, I don't want to be perceived as childish. It's very important for me. Don't you dare. <laughs> <laughs> if you... If you think of me as childish, there's something very wrong with you. You need to fix that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And the second, the second exercise that we, we do at the very beginning of the Radical Honesty Workshops is sometimes I pretend. 
And we usually sit in a circle and we look at, we have eye contact with, with our neighbor and we share what we, what we sometimes pretend. And our neighbor, whenever they hear us, when we finish speaking, they say, thank you. And then we go move on. And this is something I also recommend playing at the family gatherings as well, because family gatherings are usually a pretend shit show. And you can, it's, it's usually a lot of fun to call it out. And sometimes it's also emotional because people use also pretenses too as a survival mode. So if you tickle that, they might get very defensive or they might just feel really like sad about all the lost years that they have pretended for themselves in front of themselves. Would you like to do it now? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's go for it. So sometimes I pretend that I know what I am about to say when in fact I have no clue. Mm. Now you say thank you and now it's your turn. Okay. Yura, thank you. Sometimes I pretend that I am in a very good mood. Sometimes I pretend that I'm feeling very positive and bubbly and humorous when sometimes I'm really not. Thank you. Sometimes I pretend that I'm very relaxed and I don't care what other people think when in fact I did prepare myself to be perceived in a specific way. And I want people to like me and I don't tell them. Thank you. Sometimes I pretend that I have it all under control and that I am knowledgeable on stuff. When in fact, I I often, I'm just completely winging, winging it. And I don't actually know much about a particular thing, but I'll just start chatting and see what comes out. Um, I pretend to know what I'm talking about. And sometimes I absolutely do not know what I'm talking about. Thank you. Sometimes I pretend that I'm not mad at my flatmates for leaving dishes around or leaving like wet spots on the floor that becomes dirt in a few days. When in fact, I am resentful each time I see dirt in our common living space. Thank you. So I, I was planning to do three rounds and if you feel like you want to do more then we can do it, but yes. Yeah, that's fine. Is this is this the third? I've lost count. This is the third, I think. Okay. <laughs> Not that I kept track, but I think it's the third. <laughs> All right. Sometimes I pretend that I am there. I'm, I'm engaged in what a person is saying and I'm interested in what they're saying. Sometimes I pretend I'm listening when I'm not at all. Um, I'm, I'm preoccupied by my own mental chatter 
And sometimes I'm genuinely not interested in what this person's saying. But I act like I am. I act like I'm engaged in what they're saying. When sometimes I'm just, I'm totally not. Or I'm not in a place where I even want to listen emotionally. I'm just like, I don't want to listen to another person. <laughs> but I pretend. I pretend that I'm there to listen when I'm not sometimes. Thank you. Sometimes I pretend that I don't feel attracted to a guy when I'm actually feeling attracted. Thank you. Sometimes I pretend. Sometimes I pretend that I. I kind of date. Sometimes I pretend that I'm fully interested in this person. When I'm not. I, pre I pretend that I'm attracted to this person. I, I pretend that I even want to be there when deep down I, I, I often don't want to be there or I don't find this person attractive, but I pretend that I do. Hmm. <laughs> Thank you. So I want to do one more round. Okay. Let's do one more round. Um, I, I hope, um, I mean, I don't, I don't know if there are any, are any sort of rules around this, but the, the thing that you shared prompted mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. from me in a similar mm -hmm. way. Um, yeah. I don't know if it has to be completely different. No. Um, okay. It's just what comes up. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. So sometimes I pretend that I want to have sex with the guy that I was dating when in fact I did not want to have sex. I just wanted to please him. I wanted him to like me. Hmm. Thank you. Sometimes I, sometimes I have sex with someone, not because I wanted to have sex with this person, but because I wanted to feel desired. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> Oliver, did I, did I really just say that on a podcast? <laughs> Uh, you have no idea how common those are like really it's it's it doesn't really even matter in which culture because we we with other trainers other trainers that even did it in india it seems like culturally we have like a top hundred of the same pretense we're pretending the same things throughout cultures it's incredible it's the same old same everybody can relate to like i could relate to your pretenses as well and i don't know if you could relate to mine mm. but usually there's like a, a huge realization realization that hits people and it's like huh I, I do the same thing it's like yeah i do that too it's like we all pretend same things all over the place <laughs> and yet we pretend that we don't pretend when we are i also want to just say that i don't want people to think that pretending is a bad thing like Children are pretending. They're like, okay, I'm going to be the robber and you're going to be the police. Now chase me. And I'm like, yeah. And they go play. It's a play. But at some point, we as adults, we forgot that we're playing and we started to pretend out of fear. And mm. that's when it becomes painful experience to pretend. But there's absolutely nothing wrong with pretending. You can as well pretend and enjoy yourself, but know when it's time to eat and time to sleep and time to be you like children it's like the mom's like oliver lunchtime you're like 
okay and you just shake off the, your your burglar role and you're like i'm coming man <laughs> yeah for me for me it was batman i was, uh, basically whenever i was playing i was batman <laughs> I, I, there was just there's so many photos of me when i was a kid between the ages of like two and five and like 90 percent of them i'm in batman costume <laughs> no matter awesome. where i am <laughs> so uh so yeah it's just yeah we're all pretending um but it's when we don't know that we're pretending when we like identify with our our pretenses don't realize that we we are pretending yes. when things get uh, things feel very serious in that sense you know i just think of the the, the sort of s- typical guy who's like in his mid 40s and he's like got all these responsibilities he's got this job that he's working he's i'm a father i'm a ceo i'm all these people Oh my god, I'm so desperate. <laughs> please, please get me out of this shit. Um, it's like maybe because I mean, in part, it would likely be the roles that is taken very, very seriously, um, bring a very rigidness to life. Yeah. Mm. Well, I think uh, I think that's it. I think we can start to to wrap this up. I mean, what what the last thing I'd just want to do is. Give the listeners some direction of where they can learn more about this. Um, where would they go next? So ideally, you go directly to a Radical Honesty weekend workshop or a Radical Honesty A-Day workshop or an online course where you get to learn from the very beginning. There's a learning to do. People say, oh, it's easy to tell the truth. Not if you want to practice radical honesty. It usually takes up to two years for people to finally get it. Even now I receive messages like, Yura, what was the thing that, like, why doesn't it work for me? It's like, I do this thing and why doesn't it work? And I was like, feel your body. You just forgot that the body is the most important aspect of telling the truth. People forget it because we get sidetracked by our roles and identifications. So first of all, attend the workshop where you get a community support, as well as a professional support. So somebody who has been there knows what you're going through and can guide you through those processes. And then once you do the weekend workshops, then you will be picked up from there. There's going to be a community, a constant support network and more workshops to come for, to practice further and, and learn deeper. Should I say about my workshops now? What's the yes. how, promote yourself? Oh. <laughs> I have a weekend workshop every second month in Berlin. So I'm going to have at the end of September here, then I'm going to have in November, January. And so every second month, I'm trying to keep it like that. I also really want to establish a community in, in Portugal. I love Portugal. It's one of my favorite countries to be. And I would like to have a community of people who relate to me in the way that I like to be related. <laughs> So I am bringing up a workshop there um, at the the very first weekend of October. Also want to do um, a seven day holiday retreat in Portugal sometime in winter, somewhere in the south with lots of sun, good food, and proper company, where everybody can be as they are, say random things, get over pain, get over emotions. So that's what I wish for myself. If COVID doesn't hit me <laughs> yeah there's there, there is that to consider you um yeah. you you also have your own sort of podcast where you go live right right correct i'm taking a break at the moment and 
before I was going on every Monday at 1 p.m. Central European time. I would go live and talk about the things that matter to me. It's called the Honesty with Yura Glaw. You can also look me up on Spotify as well as on YouTube. And then on every Thursday, I would interview a person about their radical honesty journey or a radical honesty trainer with their personal stories. Basically, I really like interviewing people who appear to have their shit together. They're really successful. And I really like them to share the truth. What is the price of where they're at? And it's very inspiring. I really want people to have access to humanity instead of idealization. I like the idea that people can relate to each other. And so I do that through my honesty. Fantastic. And anyone listening, the uh, show notes for this episode can be found at ikario.com forward slash 046. And all the links, if you guys want to hear more from Yura, all the links will be on that page. So uh, head on over to that. And as always, guys, if you enjoyed this episode, let us know. Leave us a review. Let us know. On Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a review. Also, as always, if you want to leave a little voice message that we can respond to at the end of one episode, go to anchor.fm forward slash Icario, leave a voice message, and we shall respond to it at the end. And with that, I think that's everything. Yura, thank you very much for coming on the show. Uh, it's been a great conversation. I've really, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. One. It's been <laughs> great, especially the end. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for having me here. I also really enjoyed talking. That was very smooth. Really nice. Thank you. <laughs>